morning, City Light. How we doing? Good morning, good morning. Happy Sunday. Hey, if you're new, go ahead and fill out the Connect card in your seat. We would love to get to know you. You can give that to us on your way out, and we would love to give you a gift. Also, a couple other things in your seat that are important. Um, the one is uh, there's a QR code, and that's going to link you to a Christmas store Amazon wish list. So every year, uh, well, every year we've only been around two years, but so far, both times, we have done uh, what we call a Christmas store as an opportunity for us to do outreach and bless our families. And so uh, we talk with local leaders, social workers, school workers, whatnot. We identify families who could really use a boost this Christmas to be able to provide gifts to their children. Uh, and so we call on the congregation. We order a bunch of gifts from Amazon. Uh, it's ages 12 and under, girls and boys. And uh, on December 11th, uh, we'll come here, share the gospel, the greatest gift, obviously, and then be able to bless with some physical gifts as well. And so if you're able to serve on that day, that's great. You can sign up in the lobby, but also for all of y'all, okay, because every single one of y'all got that. Buy it right now on Amazon. I know it. You just got to swipe. It would take you two seconds to do this, and you're on Amazon 100 times a day, and you're already buying a bunch of gifts for your family anyways, okay? So every single one of y'all, all right? Uh, there are cheap gifts. They're expensive. It's all around the board. Uh, go on the way list, the QR code, buy a gift, send it to this building, we'll take care of it from there, okay? And so please do that. It's a way for us to bless our local families so they can bless their families for Christmas. It's an amazing time to share the gospel as well. Uh, it's been a great outreach that we've been able to do the last couple weeks. And then also, as Thanksgiving's coming up, uh, we did this uh, last week, but we ran out from the 9 a.m., and so we have some more today. And so there's a list that you can get, that you should get, either as a family, individual, with your friends, with your lighthouse, on the way out, that has a list of items needed from the grocery store, and then contact information. Once again, we have worked with local people to identify those who are in the most need this Thanksgiving so that you can supply a box of food for Thanksgiving. And so please do that on your way out. Do it as a group. Do it as an individual. Grab the list. And so we're, nothing's here, just the list. You go to the grocery store. You buy the items. You deliver it. Uh, you pray with the people and minister the hands and feet of Jesus. And so those are two very important ways for us to bless our community uh, that every single one of you can get involved in this Christmas. Got it? Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. All right. So today we start a new series in the book of Ruth. Uh, as we prepare for Christmas to both give a theological, biblical understanding into God's plan to bring Jesus into the world, but to also help you see the practical significance of the way God plans things and how that might help you in the moment of life that you're in now. Today's message is called From Bitter to Better, and really the idea is you change the letter, you can change a life, that you can switch your perspective and switch what is going on in your heart and in your body from bitter to better by understanding how God works in the world and what he might be doing in your life. And I hope that many of you make the transition from bitter to better even in our series over these next four weeks. And that as we're able to consider what Jesus has done for us, we're able to change our perspective on life. I hope this as well helps us transition from our stress, depressed, or at rest series that the Lord led us into. If you missed that or if you're new today, I really encourage you to go listen to that to help you navigate your own fears, discouragements, depressions, anxieties, worries, and all of that. Uh, this is a great bridge from that to Thanksgiving and Christmas because we're going to see uh, how does the Lord really work in the world and how does that help me understand what he might be doing in my life. And we're going to learn a lot about pain and the promises and purposes of God. And so this will be very restorative for us. Now, what's really great about Ruth that we're going to see is how great of a planner God is, okay? Okay. 
And so, so many of you know in life, there's people in your life you would trust to plan things, and there's people that you would not trust to plan anything. Uh, when you go on a vacation, right, with your family, one of y'all takes charge. Ain't both of y'all, y'all ain't, you know, one of y'all's like, okay, I know how to do this. Uh, some of y'all don't. Everybody that knows me knows that if I need an idea, I'll come to Nate. But if I need a plan, I'm going to go to Grace, okay? She's the director of operations. She gets everything done, okay? So this is how it works. You guys know people in your life that you would trust to plan things and know people in your life that you would like to stay as far away from the planning things as possible. Uh, and so what I want you to see from today is how important it is to know and to trust in God as the great planner, not only of your life, but of all things in the world. Uh, the other, uh, like a few years ago, so one of my uh, previous jobs, uh, and just to give reference, I was already, I was like 28, okay, so this is not a 15-year-old mistake. I had, I had been in charge with a plan to execute an event, okay, and so I had to plan this event. Part of the thing I had to do was to cater food, and so I thought, what better way to bless an event than with Chick-fil-A, okay? You just think it's just the blessing of the Lord, the anointing of God will be on this event. This is a great idea. And so I ordered trays of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets, which is wonderful, Chick-fil-A sauce and all that. But you know what else I ordered? Nothing. I didn't order anything else. We, it showed up at the event. I don't know. I didn't even think. I just didn't. And we got to the event, and I was proud. I had all the Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets and all the sauce. I mean, who could ask for more in life than chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A and Chick-fil-A sauce? I mean, what else is going to satisfy you? And uh, my boss was like, where's the rest of the food? As a matter of fact, where are the drinks? And I thought, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do any of that. I got chicken nuggets here, and there's a lot of them, yeah. And look how happy everyone is, you know. Uh, and so I had completely missed out the rest, of the, the rest of the food, the rest of the event. I had to make an emergency run to go cover some of that. Uh, and this is what you get when you get Nate crew planning an event. You get chicken nuggets and nothing else. And so it is also with your life that if you are the one planning your life or if you are the one you're trusting in to work all things out in your life or if some advice from some person on YouTube or some influencer or some other person in your life is even the person that you are going to to trust your plans with or the person that you hope resolves things or works things out or gives you the right advice or leads in the right way, if you are the one or someone else is the one or the strategy of the world or social media are the ones leading you and you're putting your hope in, you are going to end up with a tray full of chicken nuggets and nothing else, all right? You're going to end up lacking the very things that you need. And what I want to do today is two things. I want to encourage some of you who are here and you are outside of the family of God. You have not put your trust in Jesus. So I want to reveal to you God's wonderful plan for how he does things in the world and how he wants to include you in that and to call you to stop trusting in yourself for your own plans to work out things for your own life and to start putting your trust in God through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection for you. And for many of you, I'm going to call you today to renew your trust in God consciously, to trust in his plans, and to put your life back into his hands as they are already, and to hopefully find some hope and some encouragement, some healing, and some direction uh, through trusting the Lord and his plans for your life. So the book of Ruth, let's open to Ruth chapter 1. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, let's go. The scriptures are awesome, all right? Be excited. The Lord of the universe is going to speak to you today. I hope your ears are attuned. Uh, grab the scripture journal. Please use that. As I say all the time, man shall not live by sermons alone. And so please get in the word of God. Get in the word of God every day. That's going to help you. Take notes in it. 
Go back, look at it tomorrow. I'm just telling you a hundred times. I'm going to preach this every time. You realize how important this is that I'm negating my own role, okay? I'm saying think less of what I'm doing now and think more of this, okay? Go spend time with God. Go get in the Bible. If you want to grow spiritually, you must do that. There are no other options, okay? And so if you listen to sermons all the time and don't read the Bible, you'll grow a little bit. It's obviously a good thing uh, to listen to sermons. But if you read the word of God for yourself, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Uh, you'll get all your ice cream from Jesus, as I say, and then I'll come put a cherry on top, and then you'll have a nice little Sunday, okay? So please, please, please get that book. It is our resource to you and our confession that your time with the Lord and your daily habit is of the utmost importance for your growth. And I hope these sermons just go along to support and to help you with that. So Ruth chapter 1, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, but piece by piece. So, And then I'm going to give you three different thoughts at the end of that. So that's how we're going to break down this big chunk of Scripture Ruth chapter 1. In the days where the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his son, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and they remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died. And so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So we're going to stop there. This whole book opens with tragedy and so many terrible things happening. Just to give you some context, the book of Ruth, uh, not only in your Bible, uh, fits in really the right place to give you context, uh, but the book of Ruth is happening between the time of Joshua and then Samuel, who anoints King Saul. So there's a really big gap in the leadership, okay? So for those of you who know your Bible, it's between Moses. you got Moses, Joshua, right? Gap, not very good leadership. And then Samuel, as the last judge, comes and anoints King Saul, who ends up being a bad king. But then King David follows, and things start to get going in the right direction. And so now you have this kind of season in the life of the people of God where there is no good leader, it's called the book of Judges, which is the book that comes before this. The book of Judges is a bunch of um, people who come up here and there, and they lead the people, good, bad, mostly bad. And the book of Judges, the main sentence to describe the book of Judges is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So imagine City Light Kids, and you took all the leaders out, okay? You just left the kids down there. That's the book of Judges, all right? Just everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Only the strong survive, okay? Like this is exactly what that book looks like. There is no good leadership, at least not consistently, and even the leaders that do well for a time uh, fall and don't do well for most of the time. And so this is just a bad season in the life of the people of God. It would look and appear to the outsider or to anyone who's even inside that things have really gone wrong and that God's plans are not working out. But what happens in the book of Ruth is in the midst of chaos and in the midst of terrible times, God lays a seed. He lays a little seed of hope that's going to shine a big light. And as we look back, is going to be the very thing that shows us that even in the midst of chaos, that God is still working out his plan. How much more so is that true for your life? And I hope it gives you perspective, not only on what God is doing in the world, that when it looks like all is lost, his perfect plan is right on time. This is what we see working out in the book of Ruth. And so it is true for your life as well if you are a follower of Jesus. This is what I hope to encourage you with today. 
As the book starts, there is a famine, it says, in the land. What we're going to understand is in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, God made a promise to the people of God that if they rebelled from him, one of his acts of judgment would be to bring a famine. And so now the famine that they are experiencing is, even though it doesn't say it specifically right here, more than likely based off the other scriptures, an act of God's judgment for their rebellion against him. And so now they're in a season not only of complete chaos, but judgment. So what does God do in the midst of that kind of season? What if, for some of you, your own sin and God's judgment on your sin is the reason for the trouble and the life that you are in now? What does God have to say to that? What does he have to say to you in the midst of it? I hope to go ahead and give you a sneak peek that God is not done with you yet and that there is much redemption that God wants to do in your life, even in the midst of judgment. And so what we're going to see throughout here is that uh, in the very beginning, these first five verses start off tragedy, and then the very tragedy that's happening is what's going to lead to triumph, okay? So you got tragedy, and tragedy's the opening five verses, okay? This is like you start a movie, and everyone dies, okay? This is the first five minutes in the movie, most people are dead, and there's one person left. You know, okay, what are we going to do with that person? It's tragedy, but the tragedy is what God uses to turn into triumph, Because what should have happened, Elimelech and his sons and his wife should have stayed and they should have recognized that God's judgment was on the land. They should have repented and helped join a repentance there. But instead they ran away to a new land. As a matter of fact, they ran away to God's enemies, the Moabites, to the enemies of Israel. And now they're stuck in this land and Naomi is stuck in this land, a foreign land, an enemy land. And she is stuck there both without her husband and her two sons. That's how this story starts, and it is a tragedy. But what you're going to see is God loves to turn tragedies into triumphs. And I hope that encourages many of you this morning, if you are walking in the midst of tragedy, that it is not over yet. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So now the famine's over. So she set out from that place where she was. She went with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, You go and return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. And so after many years, around ten it seems, Naomi is heading back to her homeland because the famine is over. The two daughter-in-laws that are left without children and without their husbands want to go with her. She turns back and he says, no, it is best for you to stay here and find a husband. Go back to your mother's house. Don't go with me. But her prayer is that the Lord would deal kindly with you, even in the midst of all this tragedy. And what I want you to see from this, this simple point, is that trouble does not negate God's kindness. But as a matter of fact, it opens the door to experience it more. Trouble does not negate God's kindness, but it is the very thing that opens the door to experience it more. As a matter of fact, God's kindness is the only consistent thing that we can count on. 
trouble is certainly going to come here and there. Life is unstable. It is up and unstable. It is up and down. But God's kindness, God's love, and God's mercy and grace are the very consistent things we can rely on that you may feel like the trouble in your life has negated or will negate God's kindness to you. And you have misperceived how God feels about you and what God is doing in your life. And what I want to say to you this morning, like Naomi said to them, is, go and may the Lord deal kindly with you, that your trouble does not negate God's kindness, does not negate God's love, does not negate God's good plan for your life, does not destroy you. Your trouble, as a matter of fact, is an open door for God to reveal his kindness all the more. I want you to have that perspective on your life and on your trouble this morning, that God is not negating or taking away his kindness from you, but in Christ, his kindness, grace, and mercy are the very consistent things that you can rely on. Some of you have flipped it, and instead of trusting in the character of God as your consistent base, you have put your trust in the instability of the world. And so now you hope the character of God can rescue you from putting your faith in the instability of the world. And you teeter-totter and go back and forth, as opposed to putting your hope in the consistency of the character of God, that he is who he is, and he will always be that all the time, and letting that be a stable base on which you handle the instability of the world. You see what I'm saying? You put your faith in the consistency of the character of God. This is what I hope you're going to see from Ruth, is that God does what he does, and he is who he is, and that you can trust him. This is consistent. But the world, people die, things change, famine comes. And so if you put the world, number one, as your place of stability, and you hope the character and word of God can rescue you from that, then you're going to always be doing like this. But if you put your hope in in the character of God and his consistency, that though I may feel trouble, God is always the consistent basis, God's kindness to me, then I can have stability and consistency in life. Trouble does not negate God's kindness for you, but opens the door for it. I want you to change your perspective on what God is doing in your life and how he is working. Verse 10, they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. So they must have had a good relationship with their mother-in-law. Some of you are like, yeah, I wish, I wish. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night. Right, she's being just ridiculous now. And bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That's a phrase right there. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and she left, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. I want you to see a couple things from this section before we move on. The first, and we're gonna dive into this a little bit more towards the end, is that God, this is wonderful, God gives Ruth. Why is Ruth so 
into this? Like, why is she so resolved to this? It would be better for her to go back, find another man, get married, and rebuild her life. She goes with Naomi. She has no idea what's going to happen, and she's going to go back to her enemies. Just remember that. So why is she doing that? Well, I think this resolve is something that God gave her because God wanted to make an outsider an insider and use the outsider on the inside of his people to change his people. This is crazy. And this is what you must think about. It's like, oh, wow, God's perspective. He's got a plan to go take an outsider, to make that outsider an insider, and then to use that insider to change his people and to set a trajectory for his people for their good. This is what God is doing. And I want to call many of you this morning, as I will do so at the end as well, that if you are on the outside of God's family, he has the greatest desire to pull you on the inside and to allow you to be a part of his story. If you feel like you're on the outside, God wants you to be on the inside. God takes a foreign woman and makes her center stage in his story. What an amazing thing for us to see the character of God on display. I also want you to notice how this is going about. So Naomi has lost both her her sons and her husband. She has every right to try to cling on to what she's got left. You know, I got these two daughters-in-law. All right, let's stay together. And then Ruth has lost her husband. She has every right to go back to her mother's house, try to find a new husband and rebuild her life. Both of them, if they were thinking just about themselves, would not have been able to move forward in the story. But as a matter of fact, in the midst of Naomi's struggle, she's thinking about blessing them. In the midst of Ruth's struggle, she's thinking about blessing Naomi. They both think about someone else and both get their needs met. This is what the Bible says, Philippians 2, 3. Don't consider your needs more important than, consider other people's needs more important than your own. Don't look out for your own interests, look out for the interests of others. Now, this is going to be very helpful to you because this is exactly how the church should work. This is exactly what we ought to do. We walk in, we encourage one another, we're at a lighthouse, we're in friends, we're texting, whatever, and we're saying, listen, I can live selflessly and I can put myself in a position to serve and bless you because we're also doing that to one another. And so I don't have to be selfish to get my needs met. I'm in this body of Christ and we're looking out for one another. You see what they're doing here, but I want you to see an important step for us as you navigate being bitter. Okay, this is very important. We go from bitter to better, how? By blessing others. Faith takes the next step in love. How do I go from this bitterness to being better? Well, one of the ways I do that is by being a blessing to someone else. Because you know what bitterness does? It makes you so consumed with you. And all you think about is how things affect you. And all you think about is the hopelessness that you feel. And all you think about is the lack of future that you have. And all you can think about is the wrong that was done to you. And then you just get stuck in this cycle where all you're thinking about how things affect you. And in doing that, you're just going deeper into bitterness. How do I get and start to build my way out of this bitterness? I do so by putting my attention elsewhere and being a blessing to someone else. What does faith do when you feel bitter. Feelings feel bitter. Faith acts in love. I feel bitter. Okay, you can stay there and feel bitter, or by faith, you can act in love. And instead of sitting in your bitterness, you can choose to be a blessing to someone else. And you would be so surprised what God's going to return back to you. I don't know how he's going to do it, but in terms of his support and help and healing to you, that if you would take a step, instead of staying bitter to begin to be a blessing to someone else, God's going to respond in blessing to you. And healing, restoration, hope, forgiveness, whatever it might be. You say, how do I go from being bitter to being better? Well, you do so first by blessing others. Feelings will make you bitter, but faith acts in love. Take the next step. This morning, think of someone that you can bless today and start to make intentional decisions to turn your bitterness into a blessing 
So verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? And she said, do not call me Naomi. So this is before Facebook, and they didn't know what Naomi looked like after 10 years, you know? So now we don't have that problem, you know? Some of you are old enough to have gone to like a reunion and be like, wow, you look different than you did 15 years ago in high school. Uh, now everybody sees everybody all the time. But imagine the shock when, they, when, when she comes back, uh, the wear and tear of life, the disappointment, all the different things going on. And she says, they're like, is that Naomi? It kind of looks like her. And she says, don't call me Naomi, i.e. beautiful. Call me Mara, bitter. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I want you for a second, for a second, to remember and to realize how relatable the Bible is and how people in the Bible have felt just like you and the Lord absolutely knows what to do with your feelings and he is not scared of your frustrations and your doubts. And if you were honest this morning, when somebody asked you how you were doing, you would say the same thing. Look at this, she says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, beautiful, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Man, the Bible was written for your edification. You walk in here and you say, if I was honest and you asked me that question and I let my emotions actually be what they are instead of trying to pretend to be something that I'm not, I would say the very thing. I am so mad at God and I feel so empty and life is a mess and it's his fault. If you were honest, instead of trying to play some game, when you came in here this morning, and you would say, yeah, that's me. And what I want to tell you is, oh, God loves you so much. And Naomi felt the same way, and so did a hundred other people in the Bible, and that God has a word for you. He is not scared of your doubts, of your questions, or of your feelings. Bring them to God and let him help you. Let him help you. Look at Naomi. I'm so mad at God. I'm so bitter. I'm so frustrated. She doesn't say, oh, the Lord has been so faithful, you know. Come on, and I hope you feel that way, but be real. Let God help who you really are, not who you pretend to be. So there's space for you to be this. Say, man, I'm so bitter and upset. Okay, let that emotion surface. Let the Lord deal with it. He's not afraid of your emotions. So verse 22, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so that's the end of chapter 1. And what I have to do to give any sort of helpful encouragement and wisdom this morning from the scriptures is go ahead and give you the end of the book. So here's the spoiler alert. Okay, this is not a movie, so you can't get mad at me. It's already there. Hopefully many of you have already read it. But here's, here's how the book ends. Okay, that's the end of chapter one. Just tragedy. People dead. People were angry, bitter, all this stuff. Okay, and just bad stuff. That's how it starts. The end of chapter one, I mean the end of the chapter four, at the end of the book, it ends with Ruth giving birth or getting married to Boaz, then getting birth to a boy named Obed, Obed would become the grandfather of King David from whose lineage Jesus would be born. So you see what's happening? What is the triumph from the tragedy? It's that in the midst of all of this mess and chaos and confusion, God was orchestrating his plan to bring salvation to the world. 
Come on, you can't get any more hopeful than that to say in the midst of this. They couldn't see it. What did they know? They had no idea that this was happening, but they're taking one step at a time, and in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the frustration, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the chaos, and especially when it seems like God's plans are going awry and nothing is working out, is the very point at which God is making everything work out. And how true, yeah, you should clap for that. You love the joke. How much true is this of your life? You can't say, okay, well, that's good for her. Now I want you to think about it. Theologically, biblically, that's what God's doing. And so when you look at it, you celebrate Christmas and baby Jesus coming and all this stuff, you go back and you say, man, in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, man, God was setting the seeds and working for this moment of salvation. And so I can trust him to be doing the same in my life because this is not just theological, this is practical. This is who God is. And so so if you build your life on the character of God, then you can trust his consistent plans. But if you build your life on the instability of the world and how things work out for you now and what you understand, you will always be tossed to and fro. It couldn't be more true that in the midst of the greatest chaos, God was orchestrating his great plan. How much more true is it for your life if it's true for his plan for the whole world? So this is how we go from being bitter to better. So here are my three things. We go from bitter to better by seeing what's bigger. We go from bitter to better by seeing what's bigger. As you work through the book of Ruth, you will begin to notice the hand of God orchestrating conversations that you would think are random, social interactions that you think just came about, even famine or difficult things that are going on that are being a catalyst for all the movement and things that are happening. As you begin to work your way through the book and really through the Bible, you see God's handprint on all of these things, and you can begin to go from bitter to better by zooming out, getting God's perspective, and seeing what's bigger. I'm going to give you a little Dr. Seuss, a little Dr. Seuss phrase, okay, for you. And you can read it to your kids in the morning, all right? It says, uh, what may be bitter to swallow becomes better to follow when we see the bigger plan God has for tomorrow, okay? I'm going to say it again. You're going to laugh at me, but you're not going to forget it, okay? What was bitter to swallow, right, painful to swallow, is better to follow. I don't have to run away from it. I can live it. When we see the bigger plan God has for tomorrow, as soon as I begin to zoom out and see who God is and how God works, I begin to get hope and help in the midst of my situation, there's a verse that we love and we ought to love as Christians. It's Romans 8, 28. It says, for those who, we know that for those who love God, he is working all things together uh, for, for those for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So to those who love God, God is working all things together for good, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now you take that verse, you say, that's a great verse by which to live, but now you can shove it into a situation in Ruth and say, oh, I see how that works. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you say, well, that verse just lives in la-la land. Sure, that sounds nice. That's a nice little thought. I have no idea what to do with that on Monday morning. And so now I'm telling you, okay, look. Look at You take that verse. God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you shove it in the midst of death, pain, chaos, famine, disaster, confusion, and hopelessness. You say, oh, that's what that verse means. This is what God is doing. You zoom out and you get the bigger picture. It's like on your maps when you're trying to plan your trip and you have your phone, right, and you're going long distance. What is the first thing many of us do? Well, you zoom out so that you can see the whole picture before you know that you need to take a right turn in 300 feet. You get the big picture, right? I'm actually driving to Alabama today. Now, I've driven it so much, I can do a blindfold. I don't need a map anymore. But to say, well, get on it. It's a 12-hour trip. 
Okay, I'm going to see, okay, I got to drive through Tennessee and do all this. Thing. Okay, this is, gives me the general picture of what can I can expect to happen. And then I look back at the map and then I hit, you know, get real close in. And then I know I need to turn right in a mile. But so many of us are so hyper-focused on whether I need to turn right or turn left or why I'm here or you feel lost and you know, all this. You're so hyper-focused on the details and the moment. And what God wants you to do is stop looking, zooming in to start to zoom out, get God's perspective, and then zoom back in. This is all I want to do for you today. I'm going to help you zoom out, get God's perspective on what he's doing in the world and what he could be doing in your life, and then zoom back in, and then do I go right or left? But what happens is you become hyper-focused on the struggle, on the pain, on the circumstance. You're zoomed so far in that you've lost perspective. And God this morning is saying, okay, it's not about you figuring out why you're lost or why you're here or whether you should go right or left or why you're on this stupid street that you're on. You don't know why. And you're trying to figure it out by looking at the street name or by looking 200 feet in front of you. And God's saying, no, 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 that's not going to work. You need to zoom out. You need to see who God is. How does God work? Grab hold of that perspective and then zoom back in and manage your life. That's my goal for you today, and this is how God wants you to work. Here's the reason. It is the clarity of the big picture. You need to write this down. It's going to help you. The clarity of the big picture of what God is doing in the world that helps me with the difficulty of the small picture of what God is doing in my life. Let me say that again. It is the clarity of the big picture of what God is doing in the world that helps me with the difficulty of the smaller picture of what God is doing in my life. Okay? So you may say, how is this working out right now? Ruth would be like, okay, I'm, I'm walking with Naomi, or Naomi. Ruth didn't even really know God yet, sort of. She's working on it. And, but walking with Naomi, and Naomi's like, they're walking down the path to go find food again. I'm sure she's not thinking, like, oh, okay, I know exactly what God's working out. You know? And neither do you. You're going to go, you're going to go to grab lunch, you're going to try to figure out your day, but you're still going to have the same situation and the same struggle, the same mental health. You're still going to be in the midst of all that. And so the question is, how do I actually begin to make progress to go from being bitter to better? But what I do must understand is when I don't have clarity on the smaller picture of my life, I always have clarity on the big picture of what God is doing. I literally have thousands and thousands of words. I know from the very beginning of creation to the very end of time how God has planned things out. He's got it already planned out, and he told me actually how it's going to go. And so I know that. And I also know the character of God. And so the clarity of who God is is not confusing. He has told you. The clarity of what God is doing in the world, also not confusing. He has told us. And so now I grab those big truths, and then I shove them right into the lack of clarity in my daily life. And then I begin to manage this confusion with the clarity of what God is doing. Because if this is how God works and God is consistent, then that's what he's doing now. You see what I'm saying? It's the consistency. God is who he says he is. God will do what he says he will do. Therefore, I can grab the big picture of what God is doing in the world, that God takes chaos, confusion, depression, hopelessness, death, and a situation of no leadership, my own sin and someone else's sin. He takes all of that and he utilizes it to orchestrate his plan to bring salvation into the world. So if that's how God works in the midst of that chaos, then that's what God is doing in the midst of my chaos. If that's how God works, in the midst of their sin, then that's what God does in the midst of my sin. If that's who God was 2,000 years ago, then that's who God is today. 
And I can live my life based off that truth. And so zoom out, zoom out. Get God's perspective on what he's doing in the world. He has been absolutely clear. Read your Bible, please. Get God's perspective on who he is. He has been absolutely clear. It is not confusing who God is or what God is doing in the world. He has left us with a bazillion pieces of information to know. How that works out tomorrow at 9 a.m. is a little bit more difficult. And so that's when you gotta take that big truth and then walk by faith tomorrow morning. This is who God is. This is how God works. So this must be what he's doing in my life as far as I can tell. The second thing is that pain is often the pathway on which the promises of God run. Naomi left Judah because of the pain of a famine. The pathway to leaving Judah to go to Moab was the pain of a famine. The pathway to come back from Moab to go to Judah was the pain of the death of her husband and her sons. She had nothing left. The reason that Ruth was able to go from Moab to Judah so that she could meet Boaz in Judah and have baby Obed, who would be the grandfather of King David, who would be the lineage and line of Jesus, our Messiah, the whole way that worked out was through the pain of Naomi. Her pain was the pathway from these places. And we learn throughout the scriptures, you see this in the life of Joseph. He sold into slavery, lied about, left in jail, mistreated. He looks back over his life as an older man and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Basically, my pain was the pathway for God fulfilling his promise to establish his people, Israel. And even more so, all you gotta do is look at the cross to say the pain of the son of God both physical, but more important, the pain of receiving the wrath of God was the very means by which salvation came into the world. There is no salvation for the world without the pathway of the pain of the Son of God. And you see this time and time and time and time again. God is utilizing your pain and the circumstances that brought them about to bring to pass his promises for your life and also for the world. Zoom out. Gets God's perspective. That doesn't make it less painful, and that doesn't make it okay that it happened, but it gives you hope in the midst of it and a way to move forward. You can stay bitter about it, or you can see that my pain is a pathway for God's promises. He did this with Joseph. He did this with Naomi. He did it even with his son. He'll do it with me. And therefore, I have trust and hope that even in the midst of my pain, even if it's brought upon by myself, God is orchestrating and using his wisdom to bring to pass his purposes. Therefore, I can go from being bitter to better by putting my hope in the future and the promise of God. My pain, your pain, our pain as a people of God is often throughout the scriptures and now in your modern life, the pathway by which the promises of God run. And without the pain, especially the pain of the Son of God, there would be no promise. And so now, instead of just getting through it, you can use it, and you can start to join God in what he's doing in it. The third one is this, that God uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely place at the most unlikely time to bring to pass his perfect plan. Oh, man, I love this. Look at this. This situation is not set up for success. These are not the ingredients you would use. These are not the people that you would involve. You have a whole land of Israel, and God orchestrates 
this, what would look like a random and insignificant family to us, to go through this pain, to bring back what would seem like a random and insignificant woman, to come to Israel, to come back to Judah, then to orchestrate his promises. God uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places at the most unlikely time to bring to pass his perfect plan. And what I love about this is that he orchestrates and he uses this foreign woman, Ruth, to be center stage in the plan to bring to pass the Messiah. And so don't let anybody ever tell you, especially if they understand complementarianism, that some aspect of Christianity oppresses or puts down women. Christianity and God in the Bible and the way of Jesus is the very reason we have women's rights and equality for all people. It comes from here. This stuff drives me nuts. And so I'm going to yell about it for a minute to say people, blah, 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 Christianity, impression of women. Like you haven't read the Bible and you have no idea what God thinks about women and you have no idea that you value women because God said to and it's built in you. God uses Ruth, a foreign woman of no significance to us to be center stage in his plan to bring Jesus. Don't you look at me and tell me God devalues women. Don't you look at me and tell me the Bible oppresses. Oh, come on, don't give me that. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I could go through a whole list. You know, the whole genealogy of Jesus has lists of women, prostitutes and otherwise, that God utilized to bring to pass his perfect plan. Ruth doesn't just get a side gig. She gets the main role for a minute. Get God's perspective. That has nothing to do with this sermon, but it's a rant from me, okay? Because I get sick of people talking about things they don't know about. This is the reason we have women's rights. Y'all understand that? They didn't exist until the Bible in the way of Jesus came along. So don't let people lie to you, because people lie a lot. So God uses this foreign woman. Now, here's the truth. Unlikely people, unlikely place, unlikely time. So hey, look, if you feel like an unlikely person in an unlikely place at an unlikely time, then congratulations, you are very likely that God would use you to do something significant. If you feel unnoticed, and not seen by others, congratulations. You're seen by God. If you feel like you're on the outside of what's really happening, congratulations. God loves to make outsiders insiders. If you feel like what you have to bring to the table isn't significant, that your skills and your gifts and your resources and your way of life doesn't really do much, congratulations. You're set up for God to do something great. If you walked in here and you said, my life is a mess, congratulations. That is the perfect place for God to use you. Unlikely people, unlikely places, unlikely time is the most likely place for God to bring a savior into the world. Jesus was born in a manger to a teen mom who got pregnant before she was married. Unlikely place, unlikely time, unlikely person. And so it is with you. I want to encourage you this morning. If you feel insignificant, you feel like your life doesn't count. If you feel unnoticed and unseen, if you feel like you're in a mess of a situation that you don't even know what to do from here, if you feel like you can't fix the things that have been broken in your life, if you feel like your goal is just to make it instead of doing something great for God, if you feel like God doesn't see you or care or that he's done with you because you've done all these bad things, if you feel like you are an unlikely person at an unlikely place at an unlikely time, then it is very likely that God's gonna use your life. 
So be encouraged this morning. This is how God works in the world, and Ruth is not the only story of that. And so this is how you know God is working now. It is often the people that you know the least are the ones that God does the most with. And so be encouraged this morning that God is not finished with you yet. And as I've been saying all day, one of the primary truths we see from here that we'll close on is that God loves to make outsiders insiders. It's like the nice kid at lunch, you know, I don't know which one y'all were, the bully or the nice kid, but the nice kid sees the lonely kid and they invite them over to their table, they, they invite them to be a part of their family, and I want you to feel the love of God inviting you to his table this morning, that he sees you alone, he sees you on the outside, he sees you in the midst of all your sin and mistakes and everything that you regret, he already knows, and he says, come sit at my table with me. God loves to make outsiders insiders. And so if you're outside of the family of God this morning, the way that you become inside is to put your faith and your hope and your salvation in Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection for you. If you would turn to him, repent from your sins, and trust God's plan for your life more than your plan for your life, God will say, welcome home. Don't walk out of here an outsider anymore to the family of God. Receive the invitation of God to be a part of his family and a part of his plan. He sees you, and he notices you, and he wants you. Let me pray for us. Let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're consistent. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that you are in the midst of chaos. You are orchestrating your plans for salvation. In the midst of a mess, you are making all things new, Lord. I just pray that we would receive that this morning, that who you were for Ruth and Naomi, you are for us who you were in the person and work of Jesus Christ while he was on the earth, you are for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ while he reigns in heaven. You are who you have always been and you will be who you are today. Help us to be a people who put our trust in you, Lord, in you alone. We thank you that we can trust you. Lord, increase our faith. Give strength to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you stand, let's respond to the Lord.